stronger than we think we are. So fight and show your strength. Good and grace from our God. Good and grace from our God. Good and grace from our God. Welcome to Sobriety Checkpoint. I'm your host, Felicia Hermley. I'm a 12-stepper turned therapist. I'm married and I have two littles under five. I love Jesus, but have had my fair share of struggling with church culture and religion. I know what it's like to be stuck in a restless, irritable, and discontent rut, drunk and sober. In this podcast, you're going to find solutions to navigating mental health, spirituality, and relationships to experience the peace you've been craving. It's time for that desperately sought-after solo target run. Grab your keys and let's go for a drive. There's no judgment or breathalyzer at this sobriety checkpoint. Welcome back to part two of how to move towards more secure attachment with my guest, Thais Gibson. Thais is an author, speaker, and leader in the personal development field. She's also the creator of the Personal Development School. Thanks for joining us today. So we covered the belief part, number one. The next part is the needs. And, you know, there's a lot of ways to figure out what our needs are. Um, one of the simplest ones is to ask yourself, what was the biggest need or set of needs that were unmet from childhood? Okay. Another big one is if we were like, I don't know, I don't know. Um, another way of getting there is asking yourself, what is it that I'm constantly seeking from others in relationships? Because usually the things we need the most from other people are the things that we're in learned helplessness with the most in ourselves. And so let's just say, for example, like as the anxious preoccupied, one of the greatest unmet needs is usually consistency right? And you see anxious, preoccupied in relationships, constantly looking for certainty and consistency. So we cannot receive properly from others when we do not have a good relationship to that need within ourselves, because our subconscious mind is also very survival wired. So at the end of the day, it wants desperately to maintain its comfort zone. Meaning, you know, let's say another really clear example of an unmet need for an anxious, preoccupied is to feel um, validated, right? And so, or reassured. So often what will happen is if somebody doesn't have an, an ability to meet that need within themselves, it's like there's a hole in their bucket. And so somebody can go to an anxious person and say, you're a great friend or you're a great partner. I just love you. And that person will feel really lit up for just a moment. And then they'll start getting in their head. Oh, do they really mean it? You know, or 10 minutes later, they're like, but what if other people are, are just as great? There's lots of other people out there. So we actually have to build the relationship to ourselves in regards to our needs first. And so what we do is we just look at, okay, well, what would I like somebody to do for me? What are three things I can do for myself to meet that need instead each day? And again, we're leveraging the repetition and the emotion of doing this, right? Which is how we fire and wire these new neural pathways. And it's a big part of how we reprogram. So what we do is we get somebody, you know, and their specific needs, like APs usually need reassurance, validation, certainty, consistency. And it's funny because these are the things they usually struggle with the most in the relationship to self. Um, but we get them to do things like for validation, write out three of your wins each day and, and start to actually practice acknowledging yourself. 
for certainty, learn to communicate about your needs to other people, or make sure that you're in a position where you have um, a structure, a schedule, things that bring a sense of certainty to your life. So that part can be like the, the brainstorming. But again, we need the repetition, right? Because the repetition of doing a behavior that makes us feel good leverages repetition and emotion. So all we do next when it comes to our needs is we find out what are our biggest needs, And then we find out what are three ways I can meet this need each day. And as we do that, we're reconditioning the relationship to that need. Once we've done that internal work, we are now ready to receive it from other people, which means that we now communicate to the people that we're closest with in relationships. Hey, these are important things for me. So this brings us to point number three, right? Which is how can I communicate and let other people know what I'm looking for in a relationship? And this can be with friendships. It can be family relationships. It can be romantic relationships, but we learn to say things that are like, Hey, certainty is really important to me. And when we hit number three, we hit the communication piece. What we need to do is we need to learn to com- the, the difference between communicating retroactively versus proactively. So it's really easy to say something to somebody like, hey, you never do the dishes. That doesn't land well with anybody. It doesn't get us heard. And so we want to say, hey, I really need support. Support's really important to me. Will you take a turn doing the dishes, right? So we communicate in the positive. And so what we're essentially doing is after we do belief reprogramming for that, that 21 days around those big beliefs, We get into our needs, we meet our needs for that that next 21 days in relationship to self, and then we start communicating, bringing it out into the world. And in doing that, we allow ourselves to actually be seen and be known by other people. Because one big thing that we'll see a lot is like, if you're just in a relationship being on your best behavior all the time, you know, how can you actually be seen or be known by people? Like you actually have to share yourself and who you truly are and what you're looking for. So you can be understood by the people you love and they can show up for you in a way that's meaningful. So those are the first like major three. Number four, really simple. We, we pair some nervous system regulation. Nervous system regulation is very easy. You can do it during the time you're doing all these other things. It just looks like one morning routine um, in terms of either doing breath work, meditation, anything that's, again, repetitive, because we need to get into parasympathetic nervous system. So parasympathetic, for listeners who may not um, be as aware, is like our rest and repair or rest and digest mode, whereas sympathetic is like fight or flight. (laughs) And, you know, a lot of people who are insecurely attached, unfortunately, because of having this subconscious comfort zone of being, you know, having to walk on eggshells or being worried about their, their needs not being met, are in this subtle state of constantly being in fight or flight. And so we have to learn to re-regulate. And what we just have to do is in the first hour that we're awake in the morning, we're very suggestible, um, meaning that our, our subconscious mind is really open to change, to shifting, because we're producing predominantly alpha brain waves. And so what we want to do in that space is, is get into like a meditative habit or something to start our day off to stay in that parasympathetic space. And research shows 10 minutes once a day, first thing in the morning, that first hour that you wake up will really help your your nervous system to recondition. So, so far, (laughs) I'm just going to recap so far because I know it's a lot of information. If you have questions, please jump in. But we have our reprogramming limiting beliefs, 21 days, reprogramming needs, 21 days. While we're doing that, nervous system regulation in the morning, then we have, once we feel more comfortable meeting our needs, we share, we start sharing these things with other people. So those are our first four. Do you have any questions so far before we do the next two? The fourth one I do because, um, both for myself and, and for my listeners, we have kids and, and I know that this has been a barrier at times for myself is 
my kids wake up early. Yeah. I love the morning. It would be absolutely ideal for me to do what you just said every single day because um, I've had phases that I've been able to do that when I've had kids prior to becoming a mom. That was an easy thing to do, what you said, right? Do you have any suggestions for parents who have like these kids that wake up really early, we're exhausted in the morning, and you know, the first thing we want to do is space out on our phone as soon as we wake up in the morning. Like, how do you, how do you manage that, you know, with little kids that wake up early? Okay. So really great question. First thing I would always recommend is if you can get the idea of like where your kids wake up and try your best to do like the little bit of time before. Um, and I know it's easier said than done because kids wake up at different times all the time and it's not always quite so simple. If you can do that, it's always best. The second thing that that's a great option though, is, um, number one, we're secondly most suggestible the last hour before we go to sleep. So it's specifically when you're producing alpha brain waves because, so like if you've ever watched somebody, for example, um, watching television and they're like really into what they're watching and you're like, Hey, Bob, Bob, Bob. And like, just like glazed over, like doesn't answer. Well, Bob's actually in a light state of trance. Um, and so, you know, it's part of why like people pay so much money for like Super Bowl commercials or things like that is because when we're really engrossed in something, um, like that, for example, we're producing a lot of alpha brainwaves. We're actually highly suggestible. And so, um, you know, it's interesting because you can, the, the next time after that first morning window, when you're scrolling through your phone and you're kind of awake, but not really awake, the next window for that is in the evening. So if you can, after your kids go to bed, and even if you can just get one of them per day and it sort of shifts depending on the day, that's amazing. Um, or as a third option, um, you can try something called binaural beats. So there's something that is conditioned to essentially, it's like brainwave entrainment. It's designed to like help your brain produce more alpha brainwaves. And if you can just like take 10 minutes at lunch, spend your first two minutes listening to those brainwaves and then get into that meditative state or practice, that's another third option. And I would just say, find the time where you can, because even though, you know, you wake up in the morning and everything feels like so busy and sped up and overwhelming, when we actually get out of this chronic sympathetic fight or flight mode, when we get into parasympathetic, life changes. So as somebody who's been very insecurely attached and done a lot of work on this myself, um, the difference in how I would describe it is when you're in chronic sympathetic, every small thing feels like a big thing and life feels like it's just, you're on the hamster wheel. Everything is like turned up in magnitude. Like everything's on high alert. Everything's like, it just feels sped up when you get into parasympathetic and you get rooted there, small things feel like small things. And there feels like there's space around stuff like, Oh, this thing came up. It ruined my day's plans. I have to make a decision instead of going into this like full fledged panic mode. Instead, it's like, oh, this thing came up. Okay, my day's plans are here. Like, let me just sit for a second and figure out how I'll pivot and change. And it feels everything feels solvable. So, as much as it's work to do that 10 minutes, you'll see the return on the other side by feeling regulated. Awesome. Thank you so much. That's, that's, uh, I love those suggestions. So, yeah, for, that that's something that um I wanted to address because I know that that's a barrier that is both like we could make it that oh that that's the reason we can't do it 
And now that we have these three suggestions, it's just an excuse if we don't do it, I think. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Thank so, you. Thank you for, yeah. for asking that. And yeah. so the last, the last two things um, are our behaviors and our boundaries. So, um, you know, you'll see with the different attachment styles, they each have a really unique relationship to boundaries. So securely attached people have a great relationship to their boundaries, very good at communicating them in real time, really honest about them. Anxiously attached individuals tend to be like chronic people pleasers, never, ever struggle, like never set boundaries because they're afraid of being abandoned if they set boundaries, right? Or, or afraid of like being not good enough or rejected. Um, fearful avoidance, aka disorganized attachment styles, they tend to have a really unique relationship to boundaries. I'll, I'll speak for myself because I was FA and this was totally my pattern when I was learning about this stuff in more detail is I would be boundaryless, like I would people please. And then I would hold it in, hold it in, get frustrated, get resentful, and then pop off <laughs> and, and get angry and be like, you know, taking all my boundaries back immediately. And so just like the personality of hot and cold, it's just a very all or nothing personality, boundaryless or extreme boundaries. And then lastly, dismissive avoidant attachments, they, because they're trying to keep everybody at arm's length, have overly extreme boundaries around everything. So, you know, the, they keep everybody like <laughs> as far away as they can. And it's their way of like protecting and, and not being vulnerable and trying to like stay safe with their invulnerability. So what we're trying to bring everybody to is interdependence, right? Meaning that I can have the relationship to myself, but I can also have a relationship to someone else as well. And interdependency happens through just bringing our boundaries more into harmony. So if somebody's AP, they're chronically people-pleasing, we give them exposure techniques to do one small boundary per day. And as they're doing this work of one small boundary per day, they, they actually have to reframe it afterwards and fill it with emotion. So for example, um, let's say that you have... Bob, let's say Bob is anxiously preoccupied. He literally is terrified of setting boundaries. You don't start with like setting boundaries with your scary boss or um, the person that you're terrified of. You've had 20 years of family conflict with. You start with like the safe person in your life that's, you know, over small things like your, your favorite coworker, you ask them to return your stapler, like, you know, these small things. But because we have to get to the subconscious, we set the boundary and then we try to feed it with evidence for why that was strong, why we can do it, why we're courageous, just some kind of reframe to leverage that emotional part. Because again, you can do the boundary setting and you get the imagery from that. But if you don't have the actual repetition and emotion that follows, it can be limiting. So that's like one, there's lots of different boundary setting tools, but that's just one really simple one. Um, and we, we get each person to practice doing that depending on what their boundary issues are based on their attachment style. So that's boundaries. And then we have the last one. The last one can be a little trickier. So <laughs> that's why I paused in the middle. So, so the, the reprogramming behavior. So let's um, take a look here at like the, the example of a bad habit. The behavior reprogramming for different attachment styles is like APs. They activate all the time. They have activating strategies. Dismissive avoidance have deactivating strategies. Fearful avoidance have both, right? So activating strategies mean I constantly try to get closer. Maybe I call someone you know, over and over again when they're not answering or text them a bunch or show up at their house unannounced DAs, maybe they leave in the middle of, um, you know, an argument that could better be talked about. Maybe they take space for many days because they're avoiding things. FAs, you know, have, have sort of both of those on the go. And when we're trying to reprogram behaviors, the first thing we have to recognize is that every single thing that we do is because consciously plus subconsciously, we perceive more benefits than drawbacks. So um, if I'm somebody, let's just, I'll, I'll give the really easy example. So let's just say um, as an FA in the past, 
Um, you know, I've been secure for like 10 years or so, but it did a lot of work to get there. And as an FA, I really struggled with anger. So I would be very hot headed, very quick tempered on things. And so let's just use the behavior as the example. Um, and you can say activating and deactivating strategies too, but each attachment style has little nuances with their, their behaviors. So as a, a fearful avoidant, I would use anger in unhealthy ways, right? So I would like send a really critical text message or um, raise my voice at somebody if I was angry, like in a romantic relationship. And so for me, um, the first thing that I had to recognize is that for me to change this behavior, my subconscious believes this is more beneficial than it's detrimental. And funnily enough, I actually had a period of time when I started reflecting on this, where I was like, oh yeah, as a kid, I used to feel like I was walked all over because I grew up in this chaotic home and all these things. And I actually remembered after reflecting on this, that I was like, I need to learn to get angry to protect myself, to defend myself. And I actually practiced kind of becoming angry as a, to, to stand up for myself, right. As a very young child. So subconsciously I had stored that behavior as having more benefits and drawbacks. And so what do we have to do is change those emotional associations, but also find out what needs the behavior was meeting and come up with new strategies to get those needs met. So in other words, when I looked at, okay, what is my unhealthy relationship to anger getting met for me? Like, why am I, am I if I'm doing it, my subconscious thinks it's doing something good. And what I found is that um, I was not feeling seen, not feeling heard, feeling powerless sometimes in relationships and feeling boundaryless. And guess what anger does in one fell swoop? I raise my voice. I get louder. I get seen and heard. I finally say all the things that are on my mind that I haven't been saying. So I'm also seen and heard. Anger is a strategy to take your power back in a relationship, right? But anger also creates a boundary. It creates a barrier when you're angry. So what I have to do is when I can understand those deep unmet needs and come up with better strategies to meet them. So in this case, like I have to learn to communicate better to people so I can actually feel seen and heard. I have to be more vulnerable to people so I can actually share what's on my mind in a healthy way instead of, you know, holding it all in and then it coming out in an unhealthy way. And I have to practice boundaries more often. So I'm not using my anger as a strategy to get my boundaries met. So when you dig up the underlying reasons why we do the unhealthy behavior and come up with updated strategies, that's the first really big step. And then I have to look at all of the costs of my old behavior using the magic repetition plus emotion. So what are the costs of, of anger to my, my friendships, my family relationships, the people I love, how I feel about myself, and what are the benefits of trying to do something differently? And we want to have like 10 or 15 pieces of proof. We want to reread it. For, for that 21 day period, because in doing that, I'm feeling more negative emotional associations about this anger behavior that my subconscious mind originally thought was more good than bad. I'm leveling those out and the benefits of the new behaviors while solving, solving for that root cause problem. So that's like the last piece. Usually by the time we get to that place, we know our core wounds so well and our limiting beliefs. We know how to meet our needs and talk about them. So that one feels easier. Um, but I do a lot for like somebody who's new to, to this concept, but it's, it's a really, really powerful tool to shift out of our old behaviors. Yeah. And it makes sense that, you know, you do the first five first and then the sixth one would be, I don't know if easy is the right, the right word, but you know, maybe it, it might make more sense once you do the first steps first. Yeah. Um, no, this is, this has been gold. I, um, I'm really excited to have this shared on my, on this show. 
Um, I really think that this is something that's going to be really helpful. I think there's so much more to learn, right? Than 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 what we could cover in this short period of time. So, uh, where can people go to find out more to learn more? Yeah. So, um, we, I put daily content out on personal development school dash Chaise Gibson. And then, um, we also have a whole bunch of courses. There's like a 14 day free trial going on and it's www.personaldevelopmentschool.com. Um, and in there we have about 60 different courses. So, um, on all of those six things individually, but then all kinds of other stuff, like career communication, conflict work, you know, just a whole bunch of different interesting courses in there for, for multiple parts of life. But everything in the personal development school is designed to be personal development for the subconscious mind. So everything is like specifically targeting in those areas. Um, and then we have daily support groups. So we have these like small groups with um, other counselors, coaches, facilitators. Um, we do like guided meditations in there. We have like all sorts of cool stuff. Um, and I do a webinar uh, three days a week. So there's lots of like extra support in there too. Great. Yeah. And I'll, I'll put all that information in the show notes. Um, the last question that I have really quick, and then I might put it someplace else instead of here at the end. Um, I don't know if you have like one or two sentences to share about how learning about this can be helpful when you're in recovery. Okay. Really great question. Um, (laughs) my one or two sentences may maybe like a few more than that. Oh, if you've got a few more, that's fine. But I think, and, and I know this is at the end. I'm like, all right, I think this, this needs to be put someplace else. So yeah, I guess just like the importance of, of learning about this and going through this process for yourself when you're either, um, trying to get sober or you've already been sober for a while and you're just trying to go, go deeper in your relationship with yourself and with other people. Yeah. I love this question. So, so the first thing is that I'm sure you can see this as well, but there's nobody who's ever struggling with addiction. Who's not already first struggling with pain. Um, and a lot of that pain we don't realize is just sitting in our internal world and it's sitting from unresolved experiences from the past that we've, we've made meaning out of things. So, you know, when, when we have a a traumatic event as a child, even if it's, you know, trauma doesn't have to be like a, a car accident or an earthquake, it can be something that we couldn't properly process. We couldn't make sense of, and wherever we can't make sense of something because the subconscious mind wants certainty, it gives it meaning. So if you have a critical parent and this is happening all the time, it can be something as small as that, or when you're wired for love and connection and attunement, but you're getting criticism, you make it mean something. You make it mean I'm not good enough, or I'm unloved, or I'm not worthy. And so we have all of these pieces of meaning that get stored as our beliefs. And as somebody who, on my own journey to sobriety, at one of these sort of like pivotal points, I was like, okay, I have to investigate my internal world. I remember the very first time that I sat down in meditation and was like, okay, here I go. I'm going to try to meditate. And I sat down and I was like trying to observe my thoughts. And I remember going, I can't do this. I can't do anything. I'm going to fail this just like I failed with anything else, everything else I've done. And I was so like, and it was the first time I I had practiced observing my thoughts instead of just attaching to them and letting them sort of run my life. And in that moment, I was like, oh my goodness. This is how I speak to myself all day long. No wonder I'm trying to numb myself all the time. And, you know, what the, a lot of this like attachment theory work is designed to do is help you work out root cause so that you can see like, what are my big unmet needs? What are these big wounds that I've been carrying for a long time because of unresolved events from childhood? And if you can go in there and dissect them and literally recondition them, you take your power back from this stuff. And I think that whenever we are 
struggling with sobriety, it's because we're desperately seeking to numb our internal world because our internal world is unfortunately filled with pain. That's usually not even our fault. And so by going into understanding what that pain is, being able to see it truthfully, understand it was never our fault or something we asked for to begin with, and then have the tools to recondition these things. It very much helps deal with root cause so that we don't need a coping mechanism all the day to run from pain because we've removed a lot of the pain that was there to begin with. So beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Before you go, please subscribe and leave a five-star written review. Reviews help boost my ratings, which helps other parents in recovery find my show. If you're interested in emotional sobriety coaching, please reach out and schedule a call. Check out the show notes for my contact info and social links. Don't forget to like, follow, and share with a friend. I'm super excited to know this podcast is helping you. Tune in Thursdays for the latest episode. I'll see you back here on your next Target Run. Until next time. This podcast is produced by Bob Sloan Audio Productions. We are stronger than we think we are. So fight and show your strength. Good and grace from our God. Good and grace from our God. Good and grace from our God. Oh, good and grace from our God.